morning. Um, so we're in this kind of uh, short series at the moment, uh, short because it ends next week and started last week, uh, on redeeming the time. Uh, and uh, if you missed uh, the last week's message, then do kind of check that out online, because um, I'm not going to spend ages recapping it this morning. But uh, what, uh, where Lou kind of really helpfully left us last week uh, was with the question, uh, how then shall we live? How then shall we live in response to what we now know? How then shall we live in response to what we now know? And part of, of that question uh, covers the area of rest. Does God care about rest? Is that something that matters to him? Uh, is he only bothered about work? Uh, how then shall we live? How then shall we rest? Is God concerned about that? And maybe for some of us, uh, it's a surprising question. Uh, you're suspicious of rest. Uh, shouldn't we just be getting on with the job? Maybe for others, uh, rest is a, a bit of an excuse for comfort, uh, too much comfort. Uh, are we open to the possibility this morning that our perspective on rest might be leading us to hold back from Jesus, that which we should be offering him? Maybe you're somewhere between those two, and you seek balanced rest, but, but you're not quite sure what healthy rest actually looks like and what its connection should be with the mission that we're called to get on with. Or perhaps you're just visiting this morning, perhaps you're new to Christianity or new to church uh, and you're wondering what you're doing here. Maybe you're thinking Christianity is getting in the way of your rest. Uh, you could be at home in bed still now if you hadn't come to church. Uh, what's, you know, what's all this talk of rest? This is the most least restful thing I could be doing. Whichever of those questions we identify with, wherever we're coming from this morning, Jesus invites us into a rest, which I hope we will see is both necessary and attractive. We're going to approach this theme through an encounter that Jesus had with a woman who didn't initially know who he was. She wasn't one of his disciples at the beginning of this encounter. She followed a different religion. In fact, their two religions despised each other. Uh, if you're new to Jesus today, if you're new to church, new to Christianity, then perhaps she would have most identified with you. Although she did have some religious background, but her life was in a mess and she knew it. But before we get to that encounter, uh, we see first of all that Jesus takes rest. Uh, we're going to be looking in, in John chapter 4, if you want to uh, have a little um, turn to that. It's on page 1066 in the Blue Church Bibles. John chapter 4, page 1066. Uh, and we're going to see, first of all, that Jesus takes rest. And uh, maybe you kind of think that's a bit of a weakness. I don't know. Maybe you play that kind of comparison game, that competition about how busy you are or how tired you are. And it kind of, you know, the best people are the ones who are busiest and the most tired. Maybe uh, people who take rest are slackers, not pulling their share of the weight. But actually, what I hope we'll see this morning is that taking rest is being human. We're created with a need to rest. Jesus is the fullness of humanity, and he rested. That's the way it's always been. God's design for healthy human life has always included a rhythm of rest, daily, weekly, and more. Let's take a look at John chapter 4. Uh, I'm going to read from verses 5 to 6, page 1066 in the Church Bibles. Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. 
It was about noon. So here you go. It's quite simple, isn't it? Jesus is tired from his journey, and so he sits down and takes a rest. Interesting. Jesus demonstrates his humanity, his need for rest. He's getting tired. At Matthew, Mark, and Luke, other gospel writers record Jesus sleeping on a boat in the middle of a furious storm. Guess he was tired, maybe, to sleep through a furious storm on a boat, being chucked around by the waves. Mark describes this incident like this in, in chapter 4 of his gospel. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, that's the back of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. <laughs> and picture the scene of this boat being hurled around on the sea. And there's Jesus sleeping on the back of the boat on a cushion. The disciples had to wake him, the story says. He took rest. He was a human. He got tired. Or in Mark chapter 6, we read the apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all they'd done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. And so Jesus himself sought rest and Jesus encourages those who follow him to seek rest. Jesus, the eternal son of God, took time out in his rest to spend time praying to his father. For example, in Mark's gospel at the beginning, in chapter 1, very early in the morning, one day, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. This kind of rest isn't just about physical human need, but about priority. Uh, That day in Mark, where Jesus had got up early and gone off somewhere by himself to pray, Jesus' disciples later found him, And pointed out to him that everyone was looking for him. That's no surprise, given that a couple of verses earlier, we were told that the whole town gathered at the door of the house the night before where Jesus was staying. And yet, knowing all the pressing needs of all those people, Jesus prioritizes rest. Retreating to a place where he can spend time on his own, talking to his father. Jesus takes rest. And here, back in John chapter 4, tired, sat down by a Middle Eastern well outside a Samaritan town. Presumably a quiet spot. People wouldn't normally be out drawing water at that time of day. Too hot. Here's Jesus sat down taking rest. I'm sure Jesus knew he had to be there at this time and place for the encounter he was about to have with the woman who comes to draw water. But before we get to that, the point remains that Jesus takes rest. And if Jesus takes rest, that suggests we might not be above the need to take rest ourselves. I wonder how many of us are sat here thinking, I'm too busy to take rest. I'm too busy to rest. Are more demands placed on your time than were placed on Jesus' time? the more people need you to be busy for them than the crowd seeking help from Jesus. Or maybe we might think something along the lines of, I'm too holy to rest. I don't need it. I'm, I'm too given to God. I'm too pouring my life out for God to rest. Are you more zealous than Jesus? Are you more dedicated than he is? Do you have a better understanding than Jesus of how to live life as his disciple? 
If the son needed to have times of rest and times of rest spent with his father, then how much more us who are mere humans who share the humanity of Jesus but lack his divine nature. If Jesus needed to rest, then so so do I. Just as well, Jesus gives rest then. Uh, So that's the second thing. So Jesus takes rest. Secondly, Jesus gives rest. We're going to continue in John chapter 4, reading from verse 7 of John chapter 4. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Uh, We'll leave it there for now. Uh, There's lots we could say about this encounter and the significant conversation that Jesus and this woman have. And we haven't even read uh, all of that conversation. For now, just notice this. Here was a woman who who was a social outcast among her own people. Her life was a mess of broken relationships. She goes to the well to draw water in the heat of the day, presumably because of shame in the community. And it would be, as I said earlier, it would be more normal to go when it's cooler. But on this particular day, this woman, with all her baggage, goes to the well and she meets Jesus at the well. And to her surprise, he talks to her. And among other things, he talks about giving her living water. Water which satisfies, truly satisfies, and permanently quenches thirst. He's talking figuratively about the Holy Spirit. But for today's purposes, notice the sense of rest that Jesus holds out to this woman. Rest from being the outcast, avoiding people in shame. Rest from the guilt of her past and present relationships. Rest characterized by the truly satisfying, life-giving water. And as we kind of look at this encounter, I I think we can legitimately see indications of Jesus giving this woman rest in this passage. Jesus gives rest. Uh, But we're going to depart John 4 for a bit now and go off on a bit of a tangent. And we're going to kind of zoom out and and go to the bigger picture uh, and think from more broadly about what rest is. What is rest? And uh, we might kind of say, well, it includes stopping from that which is work to us. Uh, it does. Rest includes stopping from our, from our regular work. We should note that the category of work is a little broader than just those things that those of us who are in paid employment are employed to do. Work can include anything that's done out of a sense of duty or obligation. Uh, for example, in the case of someone whose daily chores involve cooking dinner... Uh, then cooking dinner is work for them. Uh, And that example comes from the Bible. I didn't make that example up. One way of defining leisure is freedom to do what we want to do in a relatively unforced manner. 
But that's not the whole of rest. Rest isn't just stopping work. If that's all we see rest as, then we're missing out. Rest isn't just stopping work. And rest isn't just slobbing in front of a television either. I'm not saying a television shouldn't feature in our rest, but if all I do is stop work and slob in front of a television, then I've still missed out on true rest. True rest is recreational, refreshing, renewing. Most of us uh, will know the saying, quality, not quantity. Uh, We might say this when someone says, uh, I've got 4,000 friends on Facebook. Uh, I don't know how many friends on Facebook you've got. I haven't got any because I'm not on Facebook. But uh, someone might say, I've got 4,000 friends on Facebook. And we might say to that person, well, it's about quality, not quantity. By which we would mean it's better to have four real friends who truly love you deeply, wholeheartedly, share life with you, are there with you in your joys and struggles. Better to have just four friends like that than 4,000 so-called friends on Facebook who are not really friends at all. They're just people who clicked on your page once or whatever they did. It's about quality, not quantity. And the quality of something is important, not just the quantity of the amount we have of it. And this is true of our rest. God has designed rest, in part at least, for refreshment. What is refreshment? How are we refreshed? We've noted what rest is not. Rest is not work. But let's think about the more positive side, what rest is. And here's some really thought-provoking definitions are given. Someone has spoken of leisure or rest as that which adorns and amplifies life. To adorn life means to add beauty to life. Like you might adorn the walls of your house with pictures. Uh, Leisure adorns life with beauty and interest. To amplify life means to enhance it, to increase its quality. And as well as having a sense of escape from work and obligation, rest also has a sense of expanding our experience of life, improving life, making life fuller, making life richer, more colourful, more beautiful. And in this sense, people have defined leisure as being rooted in enjoyment and reflecting on on degrees of pleasure and satisfaction, a state of feeling satisfied, a a state of luxurious well-being, someone said. Uh, One scholar has written that in leisure we renew our contact with nature, family and friends and we take time to ponder or experience the things that matter most to us. Does that remind you of anything? Think of uh, the story of God in creation. Taking time at the end of each day to reflect what he has made was good. And then taking that uh, seventh day to rest from his work and be refreshed. So rest is also about human enrichment. Yes, we need our rest to provide relaxation, recovery from fatigue. Uh, We need rest to repair our physical tiredness and emotional damage, perhaps, uh, of the work, of the pressures that we face in our work. But we also need rest to enrich us, to refresh us. Now, uh, someone might object at this point and challenge, well, aren't we called to the way of the cross? Doesn't Jesus call us to lay down our lives, to deny ourselves and follow him? Well, yes, of course, that's true. And uh, I don't suppose any of us in this room who've taken that call seriously have done so expecting an easy life. 
many of us will frequently be making sacrifices, whether that's time, financially, emotionally, sleep, giving up our rights, whatever. It's absolutely true that we should give of ourselves sacrificially as our master gave of himself sacrificially for us. And yet Jesus himself calls us to rest. And Jesus himself said that he had come to give life to the full. If we don't believe those two things, that Jesus calls us to rest and that he came to give life to the full, if we don't believe those two things, then we won't get very far with our resting. Someone has written uh, that rest flourishes only when people believe in the goodness of pleasure and human fulfillment. It withers when people are lazy, preoccupied with what is useful, or given to self-denial. Either way, as we've already seen, Jesus took rest, and so should we. Now, I found the following quote really helpful, written by a guy called Leland Ryken. Uh, he says, Leisure is the growing time of the human spirit. Leisure provides the occasion for learning and freedom, for growth and expression, for rest and restoration, for rediscovering life in its entirety. So how can we do this then? What does this kind of rest look like? Uh, um, it's kind of, it can be helpful to think of it perhaps in, in categories of, of rest that make our rest refreshing. I'm going to go through five categories that we could think about to help us make our rest refreshing. And I'm only going to outline them really quickly. But maybe you want to reflect on those later and think about, you know, uh, have I got a balanced diet uh, of rest? Think about your five-a-day uh, of rest. Uh, so that could include things like cultural pursuits, at reading a book, attending a concert, a dance, a play, visiting an art gallery or a museum, listening to music. All these kind of cultural things can be helpful ingredients to rest. Second, uh, so there's cultural pursuits. Secondly, recreation. Uh, that, this can include sport, trips, walking, canoeing, running, whatever, taking a, a stroll in a new forest or the South Downs, taking in the beauty of creation, looking for, for butterflies or birds or plants or whatever. Uh, Cultural pursuits, recreation, entertainment, watching television, there you go, it's okay. Watching television, going to the cinema, listening to the radio, listening to music, reading a magazine, reading blog articles online. Cultural pursuits, recreation, entertainment, hobbies and crafts, uh, maybe collecting things, restoring things, furniture, bikes, making things, uh, make models, do woodwork. Uh, maybe this also includes things like photography, painting, gardening, maybe even cooking, uh, providing it's not as a chore that must be done. Cultural pursuits, recreation, entertainment, hobbies and craft, and finally social activities. Visiting friends or family, having a cup of tea with your neighbours if you find that refreshing, going for a meal with friends or family, having friends or family round your house to share a meal together. These kind of things are, are great things to do in our rest. If you're married, then spending time with your husband or wife. And enjoying each other ought to feature prominently in your rhythm of rest. If you have children and sharing rest time together as a family is important. But notice, none of these categories includes idleness. None of these categories include just doing nothing. And that's not to say that we shouldn't sleep if we need to sleep. But it might be helpful to highlight that if we want to be refreshed, if we want our life to be enhanced and enriched, then we're less likely to find that by just sitting around and doing nothing. Rest is not just the absence of work. It has to give quality of refreshment. Uh, now, you would have noticed perhaps there's some overlap between those categories, and they, I'm sure they don't cover everything. But I'm sharing them because I hope that uh, you'll find them helpful to build quality into your rest. 
using those categories to think through how you could make your rest as refreshing as possible. One example from my own story of how I'm, uh, how I'm learning to build quality into my rest uh, is in the garden. A few years ago, our lawn rarely ever saw a lawnmower, and people used to mock me for it a little bit. But uh, a couple of years ago, I started looking after our garden as something recreational. And uh, you know, spending all my uh, work time kind of talking, meeting, studying, praying, sitting at a computer, all that kind of stuff uh, a lot of the time, I find it really refreshing to, to get outside and, and do some practical work with my hands. We're all different, though. And our situations will be different. And for me, that's rest that gives refreshment. Uh, but that looks differently for different people. I find rest in tending my garden. My neighbour is a landscape, landscape gardener by trade. And uh, I wouldn't, he probably wouldn't categorise tending his own garden as rest in the same way that I can. We're different. Our situations are different. But rest is a broad topic and covers many categories. But one key ingredient of true rest, which we're not really covered yet is its connection with God. We've already seen hints of this with Jesus taking rest to pray to his Father. Uh, And as well as stopping regular work and being refreshing, our rest needs an element of of being dedicated to God. Uh, And so therefore rest will include things like spiritual disciplines, like reading and reflecting on what God says in the Bible, praying, praising. Uh, These are our basic and essential components of rest. But we can go further We can enjoy God in all the other ingredients of rest that we've already talked about. They too can be dedicated to God. Uh, So when I go for a walk in the forest, I can delight in my Father who's created the trees and the plants and the birds singing. When I create some shelves on a wall or, or create a nice photograph, I can enjoy expressing the image of the Creator God, the one who created things both for function and created some things just because they look nice. I can enjoy my rest and dedicate it to God even when I'm eating delicious food as I give thanks to him in my heart as I eat it. Isn't God amazing that he created so many tasty things that are good for food? God is the creator of flavor, of variety, of pleasure, of satisfaction. If you've not tried this before or if you've fallen out of the habit of doing it, why not try it? Try delighting in God whilst walking in the countryside or making stuff or eating or whatever it is you do, however you rest. Try dedicating it to God. Our rest is an opportunity to cultivate the kind of desire for the Lord which David expresses in Psalm 27. He said, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Or think of the picture in another psalm, a picture of a watchman waiting for the morning to arrive. He's been awake during the night, having to stay alert, perhaps, I don't know, guarding a gate to the town. He looks out eagerly for a slither of light to appear on the horizon, looking forward to the morning arrive, thinking about that time. Psalm 130, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Think of that heart of waiting for the Lord, of focusing on him, on longing for him, reflecting on his unfailing love, reflecting on his redemption. That psalm goes on to talk about his unfailing love and full redemption. And if you want to know more about what redemption is, then listen to last week's message. 
This is the heart scene in, in Mary in Luke chapter 10. Mary, who sat at the Lord Jesus' feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't claim to have got this in the bag. Uh, I struggle with this, I struggle with it a lot. But, yeah, and, and building this kind of component into my rest day, I find difficult, particularly. But we can aspire to it, can't we? Wouldn't it be great if our rest included all the life-enriching stuff I mentioned earlier, and this ultimate life-enriching delight in the Lord who came to give us life to the full. Jesus gives rest. Jesus takes rest. Jesus gives rest. Jesus gives rest for our benefit now. Jesus also gives promised rest for the future. The rest uh, he's designed for us to benefit from here and now is actually a picture, uh, a foreshadowing of the rest he invites us into for eternity. And you, you can trace this theme throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's not really our focus this morning, um, but we find our ultimate rest in the salvation that we have in Jesus. Through his salvation, we enter into God's rest. Jesus brings us into God's eternal rest. Rest, as uh, Philip Jensen's written, is the goal of creation. It's where creation is heading. There's more to life than work and this world. There's, more, there's the world to come where people will rest with God. And we can enter that rest God's eternal rest by faith in Jesus, by trusting in him and all he achieved for us in his life and death and resurrection. Uh, if you'd like to talk more about what that means and what that would involve for you, uh, then ask the person who invited you here today, if you're here with someone, uh, or if you're not sure who to ask, then I'd love to meet you in the foyer afterwards, uh, out the back behind you. The New Testament book, Hebrews, links up the themes of, of Sabbath rest and the promised land rest and all these things that are through the Bible and uh, they all point to a greater rest, the prospect of sharing the creation rest of God himself, the rest which he began when he finished his work of creation. And the welcome into this rest is held out to all those who believe in Jesus, all those who trust in the finished work of Jesus on their behalf. As we think about rest, it's really relevant to note that the Gospels of Jesus says, done, not do. We're saved because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we can do. Rest is kind of built in. It's there at the center of the gospel. Done, not do. And what did Jesus do after he made purification for sins? According to the opening verses of Hebrews, he sat down. His work was finished. It's done. God rests by ending his creation. He finishes at work. It stops. There's this kind of ultimate future enjoyment of rest. A rest which begins its fulfillment when Jesus appears and says, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Anyway, our focus for this morning is more immediate. How does this rest connect with the mission that we've been given, our calling to make disciples of all nations, our kind of desire, our aspiration to see many people come back to Jesus or come to him for the first time? How does rest connect with that? We've seen that Jesus takes rest. Uh, we've seen that Jesus gives rest. And finally, we'll see that Jesus overflows from rest. 
that Jesus overflows from rest. We're going to return to John's gospel, return to the woman who Jesus is making himself known to in John chapter 4. I told you it was a bit of a tangent. Um, Don't worry, it's over. Uh, Jesus has just declared to the woman that he's the Messiah, the Christ, the one who God has promised to send. And picking up John chapter 4 again in verse 28... If you've um, given up on John 4 and shut it because you thought I was all over the place, it's 1067, page 1067, John chapter 4, verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Skip to verse 35, where Jesus says to his disciples, I tell you, open your eyes and look to the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. That's the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you've not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you've reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. It would be fair enough to say that this is a really simple point. And yet perhaps because it's so simple, many of us uh, will have uh, a tendency to forget it and neglect it to varying degrees. Many of us will neglect it, forget it. Maybe all of us do that. What is it that sends this woman out into her town? What is it that sends this woman back into her town and and to the people of the town and speaking to them? It's time spent with Jesus. Fruitful time spent with Jesus. Time in which she discovers who he is. Time in which she learns going deeper in worship. It's out of the overflow of that time that this woman cannot but go and tell. She cannot but run back and tell of the Jesus she's just spent time with. Notice also how this overflow overcomes her shame and fears about how she will be received among her people. As I said earlier, she's somewhat of a social outcast, presumably perhaps has a reputation of immorality. It's not hard to imagine her thinking, Who's going to listen to me? Who's going to give any credit to what I say? But there's no indication she worries about any of that. Instead, her heart overflows from her time spent with Jesus, and she runs and tells. Matt Redman writes the following words in one of his songs. It's the overflow of a forgiven soul. And now we've seen you, God. Our hearts cannot stay silent. It's the overflow of a forgiven soul. And now we've seen you, God. Our hearts cannot stay silent. This idea is built into the language uh, Jesus used about sending his disciples on mission. What did he send them to be? Uh, In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, uh, he said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Witnesses. What is a witness? Someone who's seen something. Someone who who testifies to something they know. 
Uh, I couldn't claim to be a witness of Saints, Southampton's football team, as I've no interest in football. I've never watched one of their games, and I couldn't tell you who the players are. I wouldn't make a particularly good witness uh, of Saints, uh, the football team. Imagine an avid fan, though, a lifetime Saints supporter who was born and brought up in Southampton and has remained here and lived and worked here for decades. And in their spare time, have, they've lived and breathed football. Uh, they're a season ticket holder. They go to every match, whether home or away. They, they set their holidays around the football match calendar. Uh, after every match, they watch it on television at home because uh, they recorded it so they could relive the moment. They can't get enough of football. They give themselves to knowing their team, Saints, and how they play. Uh, and this isn't so they can win pub quizzes. This isn't just about knowing information. They're passionate about knowing their team. Who's going to be the better witness for Saints Football Club? This fan or me? How can we give people that which we've not experienced ourselves? If we're not living in relationship with God, enjoying his grace, knowing his love, speaking with him in prayer, how can we encourage or help others to do those things? Instead, we've kind of become a bit more like a car with no petrol in its tank. A petrol-powered car, that is not an electric car with no petrol. That wouldn't, be, wouldn't work, with it? Um, anyway, uh, what have we got to give the people on our front lines if we ourselves are not receiving and living in God's grace? And we can ask the same question in relation to our serving one another within the church. What have we got to give each other if we're not ourselves receiving and living in God's grace? I wonder if any of us here today know deep down that we're trying to minister out of an empty tank, that we're trying to be witnesses uh, who who don't know what we're meant to be witnessing, who don't know the things that we're uh, meant to be overflowing with. And if that's us, if deep down we know we're kind of, we've got that sense of trying to minister out of an empty tank, uh, then we need to find someone who we can be open and, and honest with about our struggles. And, uh, yeah, you know people, if you're, if you're a regular here, we, know, we, know, we all know who we could talk to. But, but maybe, you know, if you're not sure, maybe you'd find it really helpful at asking the prayer team today. As John said, they're in that kind of back corner, which is on your right as you uh, head out. And just kind of you know, share what you're prepared to say with them. And don't worry about going. Don't have the kind of shame in going. Not everyone's going to assume that, oh, they're feeling low and empty. <laughs> it could be you're going to celebrate something and you rejoice. So don't worry about what you're going to say. But perhaps you want to go and say, yeah, that's me. I, I feel in that kind of empty place. I, I need to be filled afresh. I need to have that overflow. I know I certainly find this a challenge. Ironically, I've found it harder since I became employed by churches. Well, there you go. Um, but I've been learning that if I'm to enjoy the love of God my Father, I must be intentional about nurturing my own relationship as his adopted child. If I'm to, to delight in the Son and the Spirit, then I must cultivate a rhythm of life and rest, uh, a rhythm of, in my life and ministry that incorporates rest. And I'm still working this out. But if we receive enough of the rest that Jesus gives to us, then he will overflow from us. And that's the connection between rest and mission, as well as the connection that rest is where this is all heading. I'm going to finish in a moment. I just want to kind of illustrate this a bit, I suppose, with this, uh, this cup and this glass. Uh, so here is uh, a nice cup. Um, 
This is exactly the same as what you'll be getting your tea and coffee from later, hopefully with a modification. I think this is the only one I modified. Um, and if I take this cup, many of us perhaps are sort of living in this kind of way. I don't know how well you're going to be able to see this, but I'm just going to pour some water into this cup. And uh, you can see, if you can see, someone's gone and made some holes in this cup. Who did that, I wonder? And it's leaking out of the cup. And so, yeah, there's something coming out. There's a bit of, you know, a bit of stuff happening, a bit of stuff, a bit of good being done. This water is blessing the, the tray that I've put down here. But it's, it's going to run out. It's going to empty. And it's not really going to have the kind of impact that it could be having. And this perhaps pictures us if we're not having this kind of healthy rhythm of rest in our life. We might receive some of God's grace, but it kind of leaks out of us and isn't staying topped up. But uh, on the other hand, here is a glass which no one has punctured. And uh, if I pour water into this glass, I suspect what will happen is that as I keep pouring, although the jug's not that big, it's going to overflow. And that's what God's calling us to, this life where we're so rested and so spending our time with him that he overflows from us in blessing to those around us and those he calls us to. There we go, just enough water. So we're going to um, finish by kind of responding uh, individually, personally now. We're going to have a video played, uh, which is going to um, be based on an old uh, hymn. Really the thing to take home from today, if you're kind of thinking, what on earth is all that about? Is to go to Jesus, go back to him, focus on him. It's by focusing on him, by embracing him, by looking at him, by meditating on him, by spending time with him and having the kind of other quality of rest that we talked about that we then we are to overflow and be those disciples who he calls us to be in his mission. That's what we kind of want to think about today, redeeming the time, making the most of every opportunity. How then shall we rest? Let's focus on Jesus. Let's turn our hearts to him. Uh, in, uh, in this hymn, uh, it kind of speaks about phrases that kind of talk about um, that kind of the... Uh, Jesus' love as, as an ocean vast of blessing. There's so much that we can receive from him. It, and uh, there's a word, I don't think it's on the video, but there's a word that describes uh, his love as a haven, sweet of rest. Uh, we kind of just sang about being safe to shore, didn't we, in, in, uh, in Lighthouse? We're coming into a haven, sweet of rest. Let's focus on his love, his deep, deep love, and uh, in that find our rest. Now, I'll just pray very quickly, and then we have a video, please. Lord, thank you that you know all we need for human flourishing generally and you know all we need to flourish and thrive as your children, Father. Please help us to see in each of our different lives and different situations how then shall we live? How then shall we rest? And please, Lord, give us those overflowing hearts that like that woman of Samaria, Uh, We will be so full of you, so full of all that we know of you and experience of you that we cannot but go and share. Amen.